One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Please Abort Your Attempt to Make a Decent Podcast. And that was from Hub Hendricks on Twitter. Runner-up was Toon, who says, Spanners, it's producer Steve here. Please abort this podcast before the end of the empirical hour. And in dead last place for title of the show contest is Mike Stoner with Ain't No Verstappenus Now. Get your coat, Mike. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two-Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? That's going well. We had a race today. Yeah. And my boy Kubica, P15 with a real overtake at the end of the race. Mm. Just saying. Yeah, let, let's start as we traditionally do with P15. I do. If I didn't get it in <laughs> now, I'd never get it in. But Matt, it is really hard to begrudge a home win. Of that fashion, especially a track where we thought we weren't even going this year and they've had to do half entries where a lot of the fans will have been denied a chance to see Max race at Spa. It just feels like in the context of the season and the history of F1, the correct outcome happened today. That was the way the story was written. Yeah, that was 110 in the warm fuzzies department. There's no doubt about it. So congrats to the Max Fossey. I can feel the joy in our forums and on Twitter from all the Max Verstappen fans. Enjoy it because days like this are very special and it's what being an F1 fan is all about. So I hope you enjoy our race review of the Dutch Grand Prix. I'll just remind you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. So it's not just me and Matt. We're also joined by Alex Van Jean. Hello, Alex. 
Good evening, Spanners. We're, um, it, I enjoyed the race today. Unlike you lot, I think I actually quite enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to telling you why I okay. enjoyed it. The track was very much as advertised, tight, twisty, hard to pass, old school. Completely. Mm. Um, and I, I, I actually um, did some laps in the sim of this circuit in iRacing's F1 car to prove how difficult the circuit is. And I have a massive, massive respect, which might be part of the reason I enjoyed the race more today because I respected what the guys were doing out there today with no dramas. When you went to change your top and get set up, your wife actually jumped on the Zoom call and I had a chat with her and she said she always knows when the race has finished because Alex claps at the end of every race. I do. It doesn't matter who wins. I think whoever won, whoever wins a race does a great job, and I applaud whoever goes past. The funny thing about that is the fact that I was in the lounge, and she was at the end of the garden, and she mm-hmm. can still hear me, because I do have a rather loud clap. Quick follow-up question. When the plane lands, are you there applauding? No? No. God, no. We're also joined by our resident masterclass driver, Bradley Philpot. Hello, Brad. Good evening, Spanners. How are you doing? I'm doing doing well. Certainly a different track. Do you do you fancy a go at this track? Um, I I fancy. I wouldn't mind just driving it in. I wouldn't mind driving any track in a in a fast car. But I don't think this is a track that's on my bucket list to right. race on. I think it does look fun to to lap. Uh, and I too have driven on the simulator on this circuit, same as Alex. It's never been one of my favourites, but I did enjoy watching cars race on it. I just think it's a little bit tough to have a an actual battling overtaking race here certainly in in formula one cars okay so i'm going to offer you now uh, a series drive it's a six race series round one is an f3 f4 type car at zandvoort are you gonna are you going for it are you grabbing it or are you like nah not for me i mean i'm always going to drive something <laughs> if it's free so if you're just <laughs> offering me a chance to race for free mm. then definitely um but i i'm not going to go out of my way to to go and have a race here in a single seater but i did enjoy watching other people have to do that and that's your panel matt trumpets alex van jean and brad philpot i just want to make a general observation that i've i've it's kind of been building up a thought has been building up over the last couple of years watching formula one which is the broadcasts are focusing more and more on the front end battles and then anybody who's doing an overtake so today in general on the tv coverage and i assume everyone watching gets the same pictures there was actually very little coverage of the strategic battles say between the alpines or gasly and his strategy around the ferraris it would only cut to them if there was a specific overtaking chance and i just wonder if there's a little bit of a pressure mat on the producers to go, right, we, we have to concentrate on the front battle because that's the headline, that's that's the box office, Max and Lewis, and then only go on the overtakes to the rest of the field because everyone loves overtakes, don't they? And and that's why Perez got basically the most television time out of the, outside of the top two because he was coming through and overtaking people from the back of the field. And I just feel like we don't quite have that same nuance of watching the strategic battles in the top 10 as we used to. Yeah, and I don't know. It's kind of hard to blame them too much because we have a proper season-long battle for both championships between two different teams. And it has been a while since we've seen that. But that said, they missed the Perez overtake of Ocon and they missed the Alonso overtake of Sainz at the end to watch Hamilton get the fast lap point. And there, I think, 
you're right. I think there's some low-hanging fruit they could harvest. And especially in a race like this, where you have sort of multiple race-long strategic battles going on, it would be nice to get a little more of that as the coverage rolled along. So I'd be a little bit lost had I not tuned into all the post-race coverage where suddenly it was like, oh yeah, and there, oh by the way, there was also this epic 50-lap long battle and here's some clips from it. So that was just responding to some criticism. In fact, a very harsh three-star review on iTunes. I never understand the three-star ones. Five-star because you like it. One-star because you think I'm a turnip. Three-stars always seems very harsh. And it was like, oh, you guys used to be really good, but now you focus in on the top two. And I'm wondering whether it's because the broadcast also focuses in um, on the top two. So I'd love your feedback on that. Feedback at MissedApex.net. But let's talk about the track itself. We've been building up to this track for a long time. And my first impression is, just not the event, not what happened, not how it worked out today, not the race, but the track itself. To me, Alex, I'm finding it hard to justify in my mind that that is a quote-unquote proper F1 track. I see what they've tried to do with the banking. It's interesting. I'm not in a desperate hurry to go and have another race there. It's like a really fast Monaco in the sense that it's tight, it's twisty, but by God, it's fast. They are. There is literally no time for the drivers to breathe. So it's another one of those circuits where it's a true test of the endurance of those drivers. And that's do seventy-two laps of the thing today. Um, so, and I'm surprised we had one half spin. Yeah, but we could also. I mean, we could watch them do burpees, couldn't we? And oh, look at that test of endurance. But it's not like great racing, is it? But it's like we saw. Um, uh, the Tifi do in qualifying, you'd have that tiny little touch of grass, and he barely touched the grass when he binned it in qualifying. Mm. Um, that, and then he's in the wall, and to not do that is really difficult on a track that has no tarmac runoff. Is all gravel? Is all yeah. grass? It's impending doom. So it's like Lewis went away from it saying he loved driving here because it was such yeah. a big challenge. You heard all the same noises that you hear from the drivers that you get at Monaco. I wouldn't want this race, then Monaco. Let's put it that way. So at Monaco, it's, well, you have to be there. And here it's, well, you have to be Dutch, I think. Is that the... No, 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 come on. Right, okay. So I don't want to be too down on the track. But, Brad, this is a great example of people getting what they want. Because people always say, well, get rid of the, the runoff. Have peril. There should be a, a there should be a, a, a penalty if you go off track, if you make a mistake. As far as I can see, the main effects has been, well, you don't want to make a an overtake because you'll end up in the gravel. And if we have some incident in qualifying, we're denied of racing action or someone's out. So that I've been pretty, pretty consistent on that I don't like those physically punitive things like gravel traps and grass because it restricts what the drivers are going to do. Okay, so I, I do disagree with you on this because the thing I liked the most about the track this weekend was the peril, the jeopardy, the gravel traps being close, the barriers being close. I, I really like that. Obviously, I, I understand that it did cause some red flags in the non-race sessions. But even though it didn't actually happen in the race, there was always the threat that mm. if something went wrong for someone, if you made a mistake, it would cause a major issue. It would throw a, a real spanner in the works, throw out a safety car, that kind of thing. And I think the problem with this track was just the lack of one clear overtaking point. The main straight needed to be slightly longer or the the corner at the end of the second DRS zone. So after turn three, the banked um, tight left-hander, you had that big, long kind of sweeping run, which ended up in another sweeping corner. 
which I watched the Formula 3 races, quite often a car would get a run on the DRS from turn three onwards, but they couldn't do anything with it. And it kind of needed something, a braking zone at that point. And then I think we'd be thinking this is actually a really great track, although it did feel like the cars were a bit big for it. I think the other thing, Matt, in in the defence of Zandvoort is that the cars, apart from Perez, all, all kind of lined up in performance order. So had Perez been behind the Mercedes and strategized and outpaced them and found a way by it it would have lended itself to a more dramatic kind of outcome so but but still you know it, it is very very much on that end of the monaco end isn't it so on the hungry end we can squeeze it probably between monaco and hungry yeah uh, i will say one thing that didn't work as predicted was turn three where the inside line was completely untenable in a Formula One car for passing. I mean, we saw Ocon have a go at Alonso up there, and it just, it wasn't possible to carry the speed through the bottom of the turn you needed to, to be on the proper side of the track and fight on the way out. But one thing that we didn't get this year that we might next year is an extension of the DRS zone into the final turn. They didn't want to run the DRS through the banked turn, but I think they were potentially evaluating it. And that, that could spice things up a bit if if turn three is not going to be the other place that overtakes could happen. The uh, reason the inside line on the bank corner was a problem was because because the cars are quite are very wide. Yeah. What's happening is they're getting on the banking and they're losing the front the front wheel comes up off the ground, and you've got more grip with four tires than you have with three tires. So you end up on that inside. You have to back off because you're understeering, and the other car just gets to sweep around the outside. So that's why that didn't quite work the way it was supposed to. Okay, and uh, people in our Slack chat, hello Slack patrons, are saying that the F three was. I uh, quote-unquote lit, they said. And also I caught a little bit of the W Series where they were racing like eight wide at various points as well. And uh, Sam Watley is in there yelling at clouds, saying the cars are too big and heavy, period. Full stop, he says. Okay, so um, enough about the track. Let's uh, let's move on and talk about what happened in pre-race and qualifying. Well, I think uh, the biggest feature of the track, Matt, was the smoke <laughs> on the crowd. I know the Dutch fans love their smoke, uh, but I don't know if this translates to you as an American. But if someone set off smoke next to me in a stadium, I would be tutting so hard. Yeah, it, it might uh, reduce my enjoyment of the event a bit if someone essentially set off a smoke bomb right next to where I was sitting. Uh, we might have a quick technical thing here without dwelling on it too much. Both the uh, Aston Martin and the Mercedes suffered power unit issues, which some people are saying set Lewis Hamilton up on a bit of a disadvantage um, f- because they didn't get to practice their race pace. But I saw Gary Anderson commenting, amongst others, that perhaps there was a fuel issue because of the banking and the way the Mercedes engine distributes oil around its engine. Sorry, did I say fuel? Oil around its engine, that it was kind of, I guess, choking out or setting off a sensor or something. Essentially, the oil drains back into a dry sump. And on the banking, it's possible that the centripetal forces were causing that to run dry, creating a distribution issue for the engine. And that would immediately set off a limp home sensor, which at least is was my guess as to what that was with Hamilton's car, because the engine didn't stop running. But it it sounded very much like, I'm only going to go this fast, and I refuse to go any faster, which a lot of times will be down to a sensor, uh, a don't blow up the engine sensor. 
And I was quite pleased that there was no red flags during this race because the red flags during practice and qualifying seem to be dealt with quite slowly. And I didn't know whether that's it's a relatively new infrastructure, uh, a new organization attacking it. But it wasn't it wasn't very confidence boosting, was it, when Vettel was trying to put out his own car and no one could help him. And then there was like stoppages for just ages. And I thought, oh, if they have a red flag during the race, this could be a very complicated track and logistically complicated place to sort stuff out. Yeah, it took them 35 minutes to remove Vettel's car. And considering where all the cranes and stuff were positioned around the circuit, I thought we'd actually see some really snappy um, removals of cars. But um, for me, from watching that bit during practice one, it just seemed like really inexperienced um, track marshals maybe not knowing what to do. Maybe they're newly trained because obviously it's a new track. We haven't raced in Holland for very for, in Netherlands for very many years. Um, and that might have been the reason. And then obviously... They got rid of Lewis's car easy because it just rolled away and it was safe. But I think the issue with Seb's car is it wasn't safe. Don't worry, Alex, you didn't have to repeat yourself. It was also in the region of Holland in the Netherlands, which I've been corrected on many, many times. Uh, we saw quite a few bits of action in practice. We saw signs going off in FP3 relatively harmlessly, but it did it did show everyone, Brad, like how how tricky that, that section is. And we were talking around about some of the challenges around that. Having done it in the sim, Sorry to everyone who hates that. But having done it in the sim, when you go through turn one, turn two, the gap between having to get on the power out of turn two and then get yourself back over to turn three is really interesting. And that banking probably created, I don't know, an extra impetus to get out there because you need to carry a bit more speed on the banking. Yeah, I haven't actually driven a version of this track with the banking, but the direction change where science lost it is is very similar. And yeah, these cars just are very, very hard to control once you get any yaw, any slide from the rear at all, and they're just gone. And it was actually quite similar, although it was wind-related previously, when Science lost the rear at Hungary. And the moment yeah. it had gone, it, it doesn't matter who you were, you couldn't catch it. Once it starts to go, you're just a passenger. And it was a, a similar kind of accident. But I, I think you're right in that the drivers are trying to get very quickly over to the right-hand yeah. side of the track. They're on the throttle at that point, and the car is in transition. And um, I'm surprised we didn't actually see more of those. And it just, again, brings me back to thinking about the driver resolution uh, conversation we had with Stuart Mitchell uh, all those months ago. The car car will do things faster than the drivers can react to it. But that said, I mean, dirty air, uh, I I was watching the post-race, post-quali press conference, and Hamilton said that they needed six or seven seconds to really be clear of the dirty air at this track. So... You could be looking at something like Mm. that causing you a problem as well, especially into turn three when you're going through that uh, from two to three. In 2013, Kimi Raikkonen signed a contract that that brought him away from Lotus to Ferrari, signed that towards the end of the season and then developed a mystery back injury. Kimi Raikkonen announced his retirement on Thursday, I think. And then uh, next day he said he had COVID and uh, he didn't want to go to the race. No, he obviously we wish him well and wish him no symptoms. But some cynical folk were saying that perhaps Kimmy had retired and gone, ah, do you know what? I may as well give this one a miss. But a great one for the Polish fans, Alex, to see uh, Robert Kubica go and jump in and have a what could be his last hurrah in F1. 
with with regards to Kimmy, has he retired or has he just given up his hobby? He's given. It, I know, I know. And look, I I know there's a lot of Kimmy fans out there who will miss him, but he just seems to have gone out of his way to tell everybody how disinterested he is and ah, f one's not my life. Okay, good. Well, you've had your run, and hopefully, Brad, we can get someone in there who really, really cares and likes it. Did you notice that? Um, there was one driver who missed out on the opportunity this weekend to become a Formula One driver for the first time. Eilert. Callum Eilert yeah. was is normally at the track and is normally one of Alpha's reserve drivers. And he happened to be racing GTs at the Nürburgring this weekend. Um, and so he just wasn't on site. The one weekend where oh. he's actually required. And then next weekend where he could potentially be required again, he's racing IndyCar um, for the first time. So that would have been really cool and exciting for him. And now he's just going to be really annoyed that he's got to be in America. It could be a poison chalice though, Brad, couldn't it? It could have been, sorry. He jumps in there. He doesn't look very impressive. How many drivers have we seen jump in and look super amazing? Uh, Paul DeResta didn't look great. Hulkenberg didn't look brilliant. But these are all good drivers, but it's just a hard thing to do to jump in. You're right, but this could be his only opportunity because Uh. he's not really... I don't see Isla as being on the radar of any teams for a serious seat at the moment. They're just all pretty much filled. And this could have been his shot to to have been a Formula One driver, even as a one-off. That said, full props to Alpha in their fight against ageism. (laughs) <laughs> what is that outside your house, Matt? Is that an oil, like an ocean liner? I'd be a fire truck, my friend. Oh, my goodness. Trying to get through traffic right that, in front of my house. Is that what fire trucks sound like in New York? We have really cool fire yeah. truck sounds. We have like a... That like that. Yeah, you have the uh, you have the bridge to somewhere over the rainbow. I think fire that trucks. has passed now, won't it? You, uh, you make your point and me and Steve will make it like that fire truck never happened. I love that. Uh, I have to make the point that um, I have to kind of counter you, Spanners, when you said Hulkenberg didn't look great. I think Hulkenberg did a blooming good job um, when he when he came in last season. I think not many people would say he did an all right job. I think everyone thinks, considering the short notice that he had, I think Hulk did a stunning job, and it's been mentioned multiple times in the Slack chat too. Compared to Stroll. Email me, matt at mistapex.net. Okay, let's move on to qualifying. Uh, Alex is, uh, we'll just have to cut that off there. Right, let's move out to qualifying. Um, nobody of note uh, stuffed it in Q1, so we can move on. No, that that hurt. Sergio Perez didn't get to do his qualifying lap or his final qualifying lap in Q1. All Red Bulls, Bulls fault, Brads. Nothing to do with Perez at all. Yeah, so we had this kind of chat during the session he did miss out on his second run, yeah. but none of the other top drivers needed one. He was in a car which was comfortably the fastest in the right driver's hands. So he should have had more than enough gap to just sail through Q1 with one run, despite the track evolution. So I know Red Bull messed up, messed up the timing a little bit there, but that is another example of Perez not quite performing as he should be. I, I feel you. Uh, I feel your point. And yeah, we've, we've said, long said, you know, qualifying is not his strength and it's been a bad run. I, there's no denying that it has been a bad run for Perez the last few races. I don't think that makes him, people are like, burn him, get Gasly in there. I don't think the last few races where he's comfortable, he knows he's got a contract and he's sort of maybe over pushing or overdriving, as we've said in previous shows, I don't think that negates uh, him as a good, good driver and we should write him off yet. It has been a difficult run. I will say, like, surely, Alex, you're with a bit of bad luck. The track evolution was absolutely incredible. And 
in a normal course of events without that, and had he got his second one, he'd have been comfortably through. Bottas, Hamilton, uh. Max <laughs> all get their runs in and got the right time in without any issues. Um, I mean, Red Bull did let him out a little bit late for that second run, but that's why they go out there and do bankers for the first run. So, you know, Perez is not doing himself any favours in qualifying at the no, moment. No, he no. did really well in the race today, um, but that was kind of, he we'll had to there. kind of we'll do well in the there. race today. Otherwise, it would have looked terrible. <laughs> um, but no, I'm I'm not hugely impressed with Perez at the moment. I was impressed with him the first few races, yeah. but he's like not as good at the moment as he was earlier in the season, which is odd because you expect him to get better. Um, I'd still put Gasly in that seat. Matt, be less mean than them. I will be less mean, uh, particularly about the Q1 incident. Uh, yes, you are correct. He did not quite put in a lap that was good enough to make it to Q2 on his first attempt. However, Red Bull certainly thought that he did, and he was the last driver in mm. the queue, and, and they got him out. And having gotten him out, they were like, you know, you should speed up a little bit. You should speed up a little bit. But they never said, you know, you should probably floor it from here. As he yeah. had a five or six car, he had a very nice gap to the car in front of him, the kind you'd want if you were in a Red Bull in that position. But they, they should have told him, yeah. nah, you just need to be stomping on that pedal right about now or you're not going to make the checkers. And, and that didn't happen. I think Red Bull got, got out a little bit there. Ah, Perez, though, you're right. You're right, boys. You are right. Not doing himself any favors, making it quite hard to be a Perez fan. But there have been dark days in the Checo folksy before, uh, and there will be glory days ahead yet to come. So now let's slag off drivers that you two like. All right, let's see. Who's the most Norris folksy? Who's the most Russell folksy? Uh, Brad, you were, you were wrong about Norris. You said he's brilliant, and he really struggled all weekend. And actually, all through practice, all through qualifying, just didn't look quite on it. Yeah, I, I was interested to see that because this is one of the drivers who has quite recent experience at this track, albeit without the banking. And maybe that was crucial. Maybe the the banking did catch a few people mm. out. And that line through turn three, you had to be comfortable with it. You had to have your car set up to deal with it properly. But Norris was not particularly quick this weekend. I'm going to let him off because <laughs> he's been really, really good up until this point. And we've been letting his teammate off with being pretty much off the pace for yeah. most of the season. So okay. I think one slightly off race for Norris is okay. And he, again, was a driver who didn't get a second um, qualifying run in and could potentially have got into the top 10 with that. Okay, so now let's slag off a driver Alex liked. Russell built, binned it in qualifying. He's going to need to sort that out. He's going to need to get those out of the way because if the announcement on Tuesday morning goes the way we think it's going to go... He's up against Lewis Hamilton, who doesn't tend to bin it from qualifying and ruin his qualifying session and start at the back of the grid. He did himself a favour, to be honest, without oh, binning it go. in qualifying. Tactical mode. genius. That's it was how- absolute tactical genius because he binned it, he got a red flag, and then got to start 11th, which, if you're not qualifying in the front two rows, is the best place to start. So, yeah, listen... You could tell he was pushing mega, mega hard, yeah. um, as you have to with that car. But I think they were really struggling with um, with the wind direction changes. And it was really causing both of them issues, which ended up causing both of them to bin it into the barriers during qualifying. There is so much good feeling towards George Russell that when he, he crashed, I think, it, I can't remember if it was Rosberg or Button, but on the commentary on Sky, they went, 
I think it was Button. They went, yeah, but he was he was doing really well on that lap until that point. And Brad, there is just such a wave of, pos- of positivity with George Russell. Everyone seems to be just wishing him well. And I'm scared that we're cherry picking a little, which is why when there is a mistake like this that will be costly in a championship fight, I want to talk about it. Well, he was doing really well up until that point. <laughs> Here we go. Um, but yeah, I think the thing you need to take into account when when potentially criticising Russell's performances, if he makes a mistake like he did this weekend, is that that car isn't like driving a Mercedes. It, you have to push harder. The car is less consistent, more sensitive to yep. wind change, all those things that that make the Mercedes better than slower cars, back of the grid cars or, or back of the midfield cars like the Williams probably yeah. is. And, so, uh, yeah, and, and also what I would say is this season, he is dining out on his Mr. Saturday reputation. Williams do set up a little bit, I think, for qualifying and the, the glory that they've had with Russell has been on Saturday. So I feel like his whole weekend is based around Saturday and he goes home, pats himself on the back from having pushed and made Q3 uh, and people don't really talk about it when the Williamses have been then disappearing back down the pack in the race. So for him, he will be pushing that extra bit hard in Q2. Was it Q2 that he crashed out? Where other drivers in that are making the top 10 perhaps are thinking, well, these are my race tyres right? I need to sell. So there's a psychological difference there as well. Matt? Well, I was going to say, if we're going to be really uh, nitpicky about it, I think Latifi brought was the one who brought the session to a close. Russell crashed, but actually managed to get his car back to the pit oh, lane so, and repaired. He's, he's so good at recovering the car after he crashes, isn't he? So brilliant, Russell. So good. Okay, uh, where are we going? We're going to we're going to the race. We've got to half an hour, and we've uh, we've not talked about the star of the weekend. So let's talk about where the race was won and lost. So I will reiterate uh, our congratulations to the Max Fossey, to the to the Max Verstappen fans and the Dutch fans in particular, and the guys at the guys and girls at the crowd who really made this a spectacular event. I don't think before we talk about where the race was won and lost, I don't think we can skip past what a great performance this was by Red Bull and Max Verstappen. The focus was on, and we will focus on this, we will talk about what could Mercedes have done, but the focus was on what could Mercedes have done. And you could easily mistake that for the phrase, what could Mercedes have done to win the race? And I don't think that's the question. I think it was, what could Mercedes have done to put themselves in contention for the race? Because everything they did failed to put them within actual striking distance of a race win. Max Verstappen and Red Bull were sat up front doing what they do, pushing hard, managing the race, waiting for that killer move from Lewis Hamilton, from Mercedes, from Bottas. And it never quite materialised, A, because they were on such good form and Verstappen barely put a wheel wrong, half a lock-up, I think, on lap 50 or something like that. But when we talk about what Mercedes could have done differently, it has to be in the context of we never saw Red Bull's plan B. We never saw what they had up their sleeve. and, And I think it was possibly a more convincing win than it may have appeared uh, but i mean alex i, I look van jean like so there's bound to be some some bias there the, the package the whole package was supreme and the incredible pressure max verstappen might have must have been under you would not not for a second did we get a hint that any of that was getting through that helmet that first things first that red bull was planted from the second it left the pit lane so red bull team did their job 
wonderfully. Um, we've seen this before, though. For other drivers going to their home races, they totally fluff up their home races because they're inundated with media and different things with the fans, and it gets to them and they lose the occasion. It's very common with Daniel Ricciardo. He often complains he has too much to do before a race yeah. in Australia. And I don't know how much, how much or how little of that Max had to do this weekend, but it did not bother him. He looked chilled. He looked composed. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't put a foot wrong. His start was phenomenal. I mean, that second phase of his launch was incredible. His first lap was Sebastian Vettel from the 2010s onward. Um, it was just an absolute masterclass from Max today. Yeah. I think one of Max's best performances. Max's and and the Red Bull pit wall as well, Matt, because there was some comments coming from Red Bull about what they were defending against and what they thought Mercedes might not do. And I think we'd said earlier in the season, is there a chance that Mercedes' previous success hides failure? So hides some strategic failure. But what might be interesting is that Red Bull know what it was like to be Mercedes today. Red Bull have been in Mercedes' position today many, many times over the last few years towards the end of the, the the season. And and it could just be that in this kind of situation, they really do have a strategic upper hand on Mercedes. When it's the other way around, maybe Mercedes are more comfortable. But this way around, it just feels like whatever Mercedes did, Red Bull were going to have an answer. Yeah, you got to say hats off to the uh, Red Bull red team who get to play the Mercedes strategists in the, in the games oh, right. that I'm sure they run. Oh, I wonder um, if they do that. Yeah. I, yeah, right. I don't know, but I, I would imagine that, that they probably do get some people to uh, pretend to be Mercedes just to run through all the possibilities. But at the end of the day, when you have the car that will win the race, anything the other team does is something you simply don't have to worry about. And when yeah. you have a driver like Max in that car, yep. yeah, I mean, th this, is, <laughs> this is in no way are any of us going to do the whole, well, Max had a better car. That's not what we're talking about because in this season, there are races where Lewis has the better car. There are races where Max has the better car and you have to maximize that. You have to absolutely take advantage. And in this season as well, you can have not the best car and your team can do a strategy or you can do really well in the rain and, and overcome that disadvantage. It's, it could almost be the perfect F1 season coming to a boil. But we do have to ask Matt where the race was won and lost. And I will happily tell you that. And I just, I was actually going to apologize myself. This is going to sound like basically a woulda, coulda for Mercedes. <laughs> no, that's fine. But th I've put it in context That's where Red Bull left you. them. That's where Max it, left yep. them. Yeah, okay, yep. that, that's no problem. Yeah. So we, we can do yeah. that. We can look at the context of missed opportunities and how could Mercedes have put themselves in the race. That's fine. And I'm going to start with lap 37, which is not where I normally start. And I'm going to start with Vettel spin, which uh, maybe a lot of people may not realize was kind of critical to the race because coming up to that incident as Vettel was rolling down the banking in turn three was none other than Valtteri Bottas who had to slow down to get round him. And that crucially took him all the way out of Verstappen's pit window, meaning that Red Bull now had an, a clear pit stop for Max to answer anything that Lewis did. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sebastian Vettel's spin, it was a very... It was, Brad, well, it's the same as Sainz's, kind of, but it was quite a Sebastian Vettel spin. Yeah, I mean, who who would have thought before the start of the race that that would be the only spin, the only no. yellow flag, I think, for the in the whole race? Can't have been. But, 
I can't think of any others oh. anyway. It okay. was the first yellow for sure. I think there. I think maybe Schumacher went off um, in the tight final chicane and, and bumped across the gravel at one point. But really, I, I didn't see anyone facing the wrong way. There were certainly no safety cars or red flags like we probably predicted. So I was surprised that he was the only one that did it. It was pretty harmless for him, obviously a time loss, but it wasn't harmless for Bottas and the Mercedes race in general, as Matt pointed out. I saw Bottas had a sudden time loss on that lap and wondered what on earth had yeah. happened. And then we saw the replays and found actually he was lucky not to be in the wall or no, in, no. in the side of Vettel. I wanted to ask you, obviously you're the, the only one with the real race car experience here, but when a car is going off in front of you, it's quite an interesting, you have a split second choice to make. Yeah, so you're you're thinking about, you're not actually thinking at all, subconsciously you're processing where that car is going to end up versus where you are able to put your car. Obviously it would have been nice for Bottas to just go down the inside but he's already at that point committed to a speed, which means he can't yeah. make the inside. So all he can do is go wider than he originally intended to. And he was just lucky there was a car width to get between Vettel yeah. and the barrier. <laughs> Alex, I've got a general rule in karting. When, when, I, when I've got a car spinning in front of me, if they've got their own race suit, I assume that they're going to hit the brakes and stop still. So I go around the outside. If they've got a rental suit, I assume they're going to go careening into the barrier and go on the inside. Yeah, I think that's a good assumption to make, really. Um, in the series that I've done, you've often got many people who I know. So I know the kind of things they will do when they spin because it's usually the same people that spin. Um, so you know how they're going to perform. But it is a terrifying thing because you do kind of think if someone's spinning off the track, sometimes it's good to aim for where they are when you see them when they're spinning yeah. because hopefully they'll then be out of it. But if they decide to slam on the brakes, it could be a little bit tricky. But I think Bottas might have got a couple of grey hairs and maybe lost a, a year or two off his life for that one because I bet that scared the life out of him. And with that dispatch, we're actually going to look backwards to Friday. And, you know, we mentioned that Lewis lost some running. And by some running, I mean pretty much all of FP2. Yeah. Well, as it turned out, that had a critical implication for Mercedes. As a result of that, I am surmising they did not do any running at all on the hard tire. And that removed it as, as, a, as a weapon from their arsenal. And that's why Lewis wound up on that used set of mediums after his second stop. Toto Wolff said after the race, those hards were an unknown and we didn't want to put put any of our drivers on it so i think the the hards were also an unknown a little bit for the red bulls because max verstappen was on the radio asking are these hards any good and the engineer was like wow ferrari seemed to be doing fine on them they're probably okay but you know certainly it looked like mercedes had an advantage with the spare set of this used medium that they could go to and it kind of looked like well we have this hammer we have this hammer and then suddenly every strategy looked like a nail and they ended up going early onto that but but we think we need to go back a, a little bit i think the second stint is probably the more the more interesting one they were all holding station around three seconds uh, three seconds back to verstappen bottas was starting to tail away they pit bottas gets told to be the sacrificial lamb a little bit and try and hold him up which to be fair he did he did for a lap and that kind of took bottas out of it because he's had to go long and slow on the soft tire but this is the point, Matt, where we really go coulda, woulda, shoulda. Like, what could Mercedes have done differently here? Because Lewis Hamilton was catching. He was close. He seemed to have a fast tyre. He seemed to have the tyre advantage. And then Mercedes pulled the trigger. And I think this is probably the critical point of the race. Well, I mean, 
essentially, if you are chasing the strongest tool, the biggest weapon you have is the undercut. And at this track, the undercut was powerful. It was two plus seconds. And what we saw was from lap 30 to lap 39, we saw that Lewis was actually inside of, of a three-second gap, meaning potentially if he pits, he could come out ahead of Verstappen, which would have entirely changed the race for Mercedes strategist. And yet they waited until after Verstappen caught Botas, and critically until after he'd had a lap in clean air. And at the end of that lap, they brought him in, but he was already over three seconds back mm. of Max, meaning that he was never going to get the job done. So if we're going to ask the question, the question is, why didn't they bring him in when the undercut would might have put him ahead? So it seemed to me that they were obviously waiting, although there was that golden period you mentioned where they could have tried it, they had this they had this tool of Bottas waiting to potentially hold Max up. So I think they were waiting for a guaranteed hold up lap for Max so they could definitely get out in front of him. But what happened or what it, it certainly looked to me happened was Lewis caught some traffic at just the wrong time. And he went from being within a couple of seconds to Max as they were approaching Bottas to just before Max caught Bottas, Lewis got broken up in traffic and was that the gap went back up. He started to close it back down again because Bottas was so slow in front of Max, but the window was kind of missed at that point, And he wasn't within touching distance at the point where Max caught Valtteri. So that's what it looked like to me. It was kind of just bad timing with the traffic. Um, and then when they obviously, when they did do it a little bit later, it, it wasn't enough. And, and the traffic that was on track, you, you all saw what happened there. Yeah. Uh and if I turn that around, I'm like, well, when he's a second and a half back on lap 36 and, Val and Valtteri is still ahead of Verstappen, maybe that's a really good time to pull the trigger because you still got Botas up there. You know, it's going to take some time off of him. Yeah. And, and this is, it just feels like one in a, in a sea of missed opportunities. So they decide to pull him in. Then Hamilton's on the radio saying, oh, you know, there was tons of life left in that. Uh, there was tons of life left in that tire. Why did we do that? Why did we put him out into traffic? Uh, but the, an interesting thing that they, I think they responded to was Verstappen saying, was them saying to Verstappen, okay, four, they, said, they said like four laps. We need four push laps on the soft tire. And I think Mercedes could see, oh, hang on a minute. This is where they're going to get an advantage. If I got my stops mixed up, I might have done. Where they said, uh, so, so Verstappen suddenly is going hard on a tyre that Mercedes think they've got the advantage on, and they say, right, get him in now to force him to respond. And that's when he gets dumped into the traffic with Ricardo. People are saying, oh, okay, into traffic is bad, but I think they needed to force Red Bull's hand there. Yeah, well, you have hit on uh, why Mercedes did stop there, and it's because Red Bull, unlike Mercedes, had no more medium tyres, and they were trying to make Max respond it, to yeah. them outside the window of I could put on a soft tire and run to the end. So they made Red Bull go to the tire they probably least wanted to be on in order to respond to Hamilton and get to the end without needing another stop, which is the only thing they could have done at that point. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. What's next in the coulda, woulda? What's next in the coulda, woulda, shoulda, Brad? Well, Bottas could have maybe put up a slightly <laughs> better defense. I, I obviously appreciate he was yeah. on very, very worn tires so it was going to be difficult, but it did again seem like Max was able to effectively just breeze past him 
on a track which is supposed to be really hard for overtaking. And the yeah. key moment was that Bottas got it wrong in that tight chicane near the end of the lap and went in too deep. I saw it happen uh, live. You, I didn't see that. Verstappen was right on his gearbox going around the final corner then. And so it was always just going to be an easy drag past. Bottas didn't need to do anything spectacular. He just needed to not make a mistake. Mm. Obviously, his tyres were worn, but he just needed to not go particularly deep into that corner on that lap. He needed one or two more laps of just staying in front so Hamilton could get back in touch and Mercedes could then run that that undercut that they wanted to do with Bottas being the, the blockade. So, Brad, this isn't the first time, though. I know when these situations tend to arise, it is Bottas on weaker tyres, but he does seem to have like a risk-reward calculation in his head where he goes, no, I'm, I'm going to lose that, so I just won't defend. And it can often look... I think Imlay might have done something similar, but it, it does often look like he just waves people through. I think it's a combination of things. I think he's not the best racer. I don't think he is... You know, he's obviously a great driver. He's a Formula One driver. He hasn't got there by accident. Mm. But compared to the other Formula One drivers, particularly the ones at the front, which he tends to be racing, I don't think he's the best wheel-to-wheel racer. He doesn't always make great decisions in combat. And the next reason is I don't think he cares that much. He's leaving the team very probably, definitely. And as we saw with the fastest lap thing at the end, which I'm sure we'll touch on, he doesn't doesn't really care. He's, He's... kind of just playing lip service to Mercedes' quest to to help Lewis win the championship. He doesn't really care. He's he's in it for himself, and he's not going to put up too much of a fight. Fair enough. Uh, Matt, The we're doing coulda, woulda, shouldas here. I think the next one that has really come up is, okay, we see Lewis Hamilton now on that final stint. He's got the mediums against Verstappen with the hards, and to start with, it looks like, well, there's not so much of a pace difference here. But then, actually kind of looks like Hamilton's got the run on him. He's got the pace on him. Really interesting bit of team radio where where he's uh, he's saying, right, am I pushing to catch him or not? And his team go, oh, no, you need to save the tyres. You need to run these to the end. He's like, yeah, but I'm pushing to catch him. And the team basically just go, yeah, in that case, yeah, go on then. Yeah, crack on. You're doing good. And Brad, my, my feeling was that that was because Mercedes kind of knew that, that they'd gone too long for the last stint on those tyres. And it didn't really matter what Hamilton did. He wasn't going to get caught by Bottas and he probably wasn't going to catch Verstappen. So they changed their minds and said, oh, oh, yeah, crack on. Go on then, off you go. That may well be why, but I really don't like seeing Mercedes like this. It looks messy. It looks like nobody really knows what's going on. It definitely doesn't instill confidence in the driver when you're driving and the team are giving you mixed messages. Yeah. And I can feel that frustration from Hamilton where he's he's, you know, it can sound like he's whinging, but really he just wants definite information he wants to know why he's doing a thing what they want him to do and when they say kind of uh yeah okay then yeah you carry on with that it it just makes it feel like he's just having to do all the work himself so uh, it's not not my favorite moment for mercedes strategies matt i just feel like at that point mercedes had they'd done the maths well yeah i mean uh, first of all a quick shout out to brad for mentioning the tires for botas because i think that was a huge impact on him that late in the race, how far he had to go on those tires. And so I appreciate you making that point for me. But as far as the strategy goes, it's worth remembering that those strategy guys, we all think of them just having like a magic computer that they just type in a question and it spits out the answer. But the fact of the matter is it's one person's brain trying to solve a problem in real time. And I think you talk about being right on the cusp of what the correct thing to do was. And and Lewis was asking the question. And I think the answer is, you know, it's kind of 50-50 here. 
we don't really, we can't quite tell you at this moment which one is the better <laughs> thing to do. So if we're going to talk about the woulda, couldas, yeah. we're going to talk about lap 50. Okay, before we go there, I just got one final point on that particular situation. Because you're saying, okay. you're talking about 50-50 as to which one would be most successful. I think it's 50-50 as to, you know, they know that neither are going to be successful, so it sort of doesn't matter. The thing that might be slightly overlooked here is that people assume that on that run, had Hamilton got past Verstappen, he was then going to disappear off into the distance. And that's not the case. He could have got past Verstappen, but he was still on probably the wrong tyre and was just going to get eaten up and Verstappen would have got past him again once the tyre drop-off you know, came into effect. So I just wanted to make that point, Matt, because I think he was doomed either way on, on that one. Lap 50, you said. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Yeah, around about lap 50. Um, you're in the window, and we know this because Perez pitted for a pair of softs and ran all the way to the end with a damaged car, I might add. Um, you're in the window for I can get to the end of the race on the soft tire. And Lewis was not that far back of Verstappen. He wasn't 10 seconds back. He was maybe two, three seconds back. So there, there was a window where Mercedes could potentially have brought him in. He would have come out well in front of Gasly. He would have just had Botas in between on the soft tire. And, you know, the, the gap from the soft to the hard is pretty big. He probably would have had the pace to mostly catch up Max and yeah. maybe have a go at him. Mercedes chose not to do that. And if I was asking a question, I'd be curious as to why they didn't, because perhaps it would have provoked an incorrect response from Red Bull versus continuing with the same strategy, which is what they did. I want to hear our drivers hear their take on it. Alex, switch the softs. Was it on? Um, do you know what? With all the woulda, coulda, shouldas, all the different options that Mercedes had, I think Max had an answer for it. For anything that Red Bull, anything that Mercedes threw at Red Bull today, I think Max had an answer for it. I don't think there was ever a problem. So on that particular point, I was I kind of wanted them to do that final stop, do one extra because I calculated it the same, Matt. I was thinking, well, there are enough laps. There's like twenty laps or so left that 
he he could if the gap if the delta is big enough he he could catch whether or not he could then pass him would be another thing but i think they they made this calculation of how likely is that to actually work versus how definitely can we get the one lap fastest uh, sorry the fastest lap point the single point for that and it was the gamble wasn't worth one point it was like it was so unlikely that it was better for them to just bank on the fastest lap so if you look at the final lap that Hamilton ended up doing, it was a uh, 11 dead. And during the race when they were on the mediums, they were circulating around low to mid 13s. And then and then Max, I think his final lap was a 14, but really they were staying kind of in the 13s as well. So on the surface, you look, Matt, at that fastest lap and you go, well, that's the best part of, you know, three, three and a half seconds there. Three and a half seconds times 10, 10 laps is 30 seconds maybe they could have given it a go and it would have been really old softs versus really old tyres towards the end. We've certainly seen that strategy work. Uh, but, you know, we're not there with the, the information. Is that a genuine missed opportunity? A, 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 a shot to nothing, as they would call it in snooker? Or is Brad right? You know, just you see that point and you go, well, that's the most likely gain here. Let's be six points down, not seven. It's not the most thrilling, is it? It's not the most thrilling strategy. Yeah, bird in the hand, I think, is is kind of the decision they made there. It would have been more thrilling on the TV had they done that. I would have liked to have seen Lewis having a proper go at it. I'm sure Lewis would have enjoyed having a set of soft tires to play with. I'm sure he would have done. But I think at the end of the day, Brad probably has the right of it. They took a look at the situation and realized that even if he did catch him, he was very unlikely to pass him with the state the tires would have been in at that point. And it was better to hang out and grab the extra point they knew they could get if they didn't uh, force Red Bull onto the soft tires to defend. I think this is where we circle back to me and Alex's original stance here, which is whenever Mercedes did try a thing, whenever they said, well, we're not saving tires, we're going to go and put some lap time in, there was a message to Max. And, you know, they're like, well, Lewis is up to his time. He's up to his time, I see. Oh, okay. I will also up my time. And and they were just able to do that. So whilst there was drama in the background, I do think that, that uh, Red Bull and, and Verstappen particularly had this in the bag. Just want to have a quick conversation about the fastest lap thing. Alex, how are you how are you finding that? Because I honestly I cannot be asked with it. It's like, oh, they're all coming in to get the extra point and we're robbed of the possibility of the last lap. What if Hamilton had just stayed? that three, four, five seconds behind and Max had had a slight wobble in the last corner. And we've just, we've just stunted the race by two laps by doing this fast lap rubbish. I'm done with it. It, it totally takes the pressure off. I mean, I like seeing them go for a fast lap because it's, it's quite fun to see it battled out throughout the race. Um, but when they just go, meh, not going to win now. Yeah. I'm going to go and box. I've got a big, I've got a big gap. It does take a bit of the shine off because you're right. You know, Lewis could have been putting pressure on Max, not that I thought that Max was feeling any pressure today, if I'm brutally honest, but Lewis could have put some pressure on Max and Max might have made a mistake and then he probably could have, might have been able to win the race. I don't think it was going to happen, but that's the racer instinct in me would think I'm not going to disappear because three, five seconds isn't actually that far if somebody makes an error. So it's that case of just push on and push on and push on. But um, with regards to Bottas, taking the fastest lap when he was explicitly told not to because he was being put out of the way of Lewis Hamilton because for some reason they want to do the same thing for Lewis. Um, I think the fastest lap rule is something which can work really well when the cars are closer. 
I think the reason it doesn't work is because we've got these two teams that are far yeah. enough in front that they can build a gap that they can then drop into. If everybody was close enough that pitting at the end is going to lose you more than one point, then you're not going to see people doing this. So maybe we could reserve judgment on this until we've got a new okay. rule set, which may well spread everyone out, but you never know. The, the more restrictive rules might bunch people up. You never okay. know. We're going to roll back around, I think, to the Bottas humiliation situation. I think we're going to roll back to that. We're going to uh, do towards the end of the show as well the state of the title, because I think we are in a, just a fascinating seesaw here. And uh, I heard some reaction, and I don't blame... Red Bull, Max Verstappen fans for getting excited, but we will roll around to that. I think I think we do need to look at the the midfield, and it's unfortunate that the TV coverage didn't catch some of these amazing battles. But Matt, I mean, if you look at the midfield, the best of the rest, you know, it's Gasly versus Ferrari, and boy, that lad, boy, that lad. We we keep talking about it on here. Every time we hear from him, it's because he's doing something amazing, aggressive. Uh, he's taking the race by the scruff of his neck. And it is um, it is very hard to make the case that he shouldn't be doing something better. But look, he's he's leading a midfield team that is fighting uh, manufacturers. He's in a pretty good place, isn't he? He'll be going home this weekend and, and he'll be having a party. He'll be all right. If you said to him, would you rather be at Alfa Romeo or Alfa Tauri? I'm pretty sure I know which one he'd pick. I yeah. mean, let's face it. The reason we didn't hear more about Gasly today is because he had possibly the world's most boring race. He started, he was faster than the Ferraris, he pitted, and he ended up in fourth place. I mean, you know, that was pretty much his race. There wasn't a lot of excitement to it. But the whole weekend for AlphaTauri and for Gasly in particular was just, it was stunning. Because they had, they had been struggling and something about this track and their car and the Honda power unit, I suspect, mm-hmm. really just worked. Because he said they had race pace they did not expect to have. And so much so that I think if you look at uh, Ferrari, when he pitted, they just were like, yep, and we're never going to catch him. So we're just going to keep on doing what we're doing and hope that we stay ahead of everybody else. Gasly's impressive, Alex. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm struggling for the fact of why they had to go to Perez and why they didn't put Gasly in. Since they dropped Gasly, he's become an entirely different driver. His performances have been fantastic. You don't see many mistakes or many errors from him. He stays out of trouble. He qualifies well. He races well. um, And he's young enough to be someone that can push on. And, you know, did have Red Bull made a mistake re-signing Perez and not putting Gasly in that seat? I think so. I've made this point before. But I think the Gasly of today is not the same driver that left Red Bull with his tail Mm. between his legs. He's now a race winner, multiple podium finisher, has proven to himself that he, he isn't rubbish. He actually is very, very good. He's taking the fight to Ferrari and McLaren kind of on his own without having to rely on a teammate setup or anything like that. It's not like Sonoda's doing all the, all the legwork. Gasly is forging ahead and very much leading that team. And he, unless... Unless you look at it through the lens of he's already been to Red Bull and it didn't go very well, if you just take that out of the picture and you just look at his performances, there is no reason he wouldn't be back in that car except that Adrian Newey has a personal problem with him because yes. they fell out. Yeah. And and he rubbed some people up the wrong way. But 
he's he's changed. I don't think he's the same guy as he left that team as. Okay, Sandra in our uh, Patreon Slack chat I just said because he fell out with New Year. And I've heard various things about this as well. Uh, and it, it might have been an early attitude problem right down to the fact that he announced that he had a seat with Toro Rosso before he he, he said it, didn't he? Like he publicised it and then he suddenly didn't get the seat. And it feels like they kind of punished him for being outspoken on social media. So there might be some kind of personal grudge there. But it does look like he is the team leader at Alpha Tauri, Alex. And this is a place where he could forge a reputation, just make himself impossible to ignore. And then all of a sudden, Ferrari go, go on then, go on then, giz it, go on then, giz it, Gasly. And then he suddenly got a shot at a title in 2026. He's a young man. Well, the entirety of Slack is shouting that he's going to go to McLaren when they get bored of trying to wait for Daniel Ricciardo to speed up. Oh, okay. Um, which... I don't see Gasly getting back into that Red Bull seat. No, no, I, no, I, don't, no. I don't. I don't think they have, regardless of the fact that Adrian Newey isn't massively involved anymore as much as people think he is. And I've got that on really good authority. Um, so that wouldn't be an issue anymore. But I just think it's they've fallen out of love with Gasly, despite how good a job he's currently doing at the moment. And I think he needs to get away from the Red Bull family. And I, I actually think it'd be a great fit with Norris. Okay, I'm going to disagree with you there. I'm going to say that if they brought Gasly back to Red Bull and it went as badly as it did the first time, his career would effectively be over. And you can say a lot of things about Red Bull, but we're hearing rumors about Albon trying to get a Williams seat. They do look after their drivers, and I think they're trying to look after Gasly. The question is, where would you send him? I mean, Alvatari fighting for P5 right now, Ferrari, McLaren are the only two teams or Alpine, which I guess with Alonso is going to be locked down for another year or two now, are the only other possible teams that would be playing in that same ballpark. I think they're just going to wait to see what happens next season and try and land him in the best team that they can. I think Red Bull are just shooting themselves in the foot by being belligerent about it. I think I personally, I have no doubt that he would do at least as good a job as Perez is doing this year and if not better. And I, I think people underestimate just how much maturing and just getting better happens when you are in Formula One for more years and yeah. you've got experience in you know as a team leader and kind of rebuilding yourself and being a race winner, let's not forget. Okay, Perez has won two races, but whatever. Let's move on before I get too triggered with all this Gasly's brilliant talk. Fine, Van Jean wants one more, one more shot. E- e- even though both of them are gifted to him, but fine. <sighs> Ooh. I'm going to play a bumper while I chill out. That's my, that is now my official Van Jeans annoyed me. So I'm playing some music. Uh, Matt, why don't we move on to your, your fandom? Let's move into your fan space with Ocon. Because you're still, you're still riding high from an Ocon victory, aren't you? How could I not be? Not just a victory, but I mean, you know, look at the drives he's putting in. Look at the qualifying mm. performance he's putting in. I mean, uh, the last teammate to run Alonso as close as Ocon is was Hamilton. I don't really think I need to say any more than that. That said, Alonso definitely got the better of him at the start. Ocon, yeah. Although yeah. he had to hit him to do it. I want to point out <laughs> Alonso had to hit Ocon to get ahead of him. So, yes. I mean, you know. Yeah, there's that. I mean, he's got previous. But look, look, oh, yeah, Ocon's brilliant. I re- I like I really am I do like Alonso I I'm an Alonso fan as well but uh, yeah that start into turn three it, it was a real kind of necky driver move 
And uh, Alonso, I think he he said, made some comment. He alluded to that he thinks he has still got it on a Sunday. And uh, maybe, you know, he's, what is he, 39, 40? That maybe on a Saturday he's got some catching up to do still. But today, uh, today I think Alonso on the Sunday, he kind of had it. And it was kind of interesting watching... Ocon going, oh, I'm I'm way quicker. I can definitely I can definitely go past. You you've got to swap us. And Alonso going, oh you cheeky bugger! Look what I can do. And then goes and pulls out like an eight second gap. Alex, uh, it was oh, gone. You then, Alex. Sorry, Alex, go ahead. Well, it almost didn't happen because there was almost a very very big crash on the first court, on the first lap because um, those two the two uh, Alpines were fighting each other. Ocon ran Alonso off the road and then Russell hit the back of Alonso. That could have sent Alonso sideways and taken out everybody. So um, they were very lucky to get away with that. And then, yeah, I did find it comical that it was the typical, I'm behind my teammate, I can go faster. And then Alonso pulled six seconds away from him. Well, what was interesting, I think it was Giovinazzi actually that hit Alonso because he picked up some oversteer on the way down to turn... Between, between turn four and turn six on that long stretch under DRS. And that actually let both Ocon and um, Ricardo buy Giovinazzi and pretty much ruined his race. But it was interesting, and I, I did have the thought at the time, I was curious as to why Alpine didn't at that point think about splitting strategy. If Ocon wants to go fast, let him go fast, pit him early to stop him, and, and let Alonso... Run the one stop, which clearly, I mean, he had a 10 second gap to the Ferraris when he came in and he absolutely ate signs up the entire rest of the race once they were on the hard tire because they had the medium tire and it it was an advantage. And frankly, had Okanot encountered some ill-timed blue flags near the end of the race, it would have been a push for Perez to get by him as well. So... Interesting psychology with Alonso. He's definitely doing the, oh, I am, I'm just an old racer. I'm doing my best. This Ocon, he is so good. And I just, you know, now he's going to be there next season. It's confirmed. Confirmed he's going to be yeah, there next season. I, I think he is building up to like a real aggressive push at some point. I think he is, he's playing his card now. So when things go wrong, it's, ah, it's because Ocon's brilliant and I'm a team player and I'm amazing. I'm just waiting for the Ocon, well, sorry, for the Alonso of old to start being really pushy because didn't, didn't Perez knock on get on pretty well in the first season? <laughs> I think this could oh, be a 2022. They, they, they've long been fast friends after their yeah. two seasons at Force India. 2022 yeah, sure. could be very, very spicy, uh, Alpine. Uh, where should we go? Per- uh, Ferrari. What do we think of Ferrari, Alex? Leclerc, to me, this season, um, does seem to have the edge, maybe. Is he still the talent that is deserving of a five-year contract? Because I think a lot of people thought that Sainz was going in there to be the number two driver and settle. And uh, flashes of brilliance from Sainz, but I think today Leclerc did look like the better Ferrari. Yeah, he's been qualifying better as well than, than Carlos has, and he had the measure of him. This weekend, I think Carlos's crash in P3 might have dented his confidence a little bit because having that kind of snap when yeah. he's like, he hit the wall, he's like, I have no idea what happened. Yeah, just that, went. that sounded bad, didn't it? I don't know. I'm in the wall, I don't know why. That kills confidence because that's a really fast corner that leads into a very important corner for the rest of the lap, which can then affect you for everything else that you do. Um, So because he qualified well, um, Leclerc couldn't get anywhere near Gasly. And again, I think Leclerc had quite a boring race as well, didn't he? 
just stuck behind. And then uh, Pierre, um, Carlos was just in there fighting for seventh in the end. It was it was actually a really good race for the pair of them till the hard tire went on the car and Leclerc was able to drive it and signs for whatever reason I don't know uh, whatever reason he just could not keep up once the hard tire went on. I have a driver question here, so I'm going to direct it mostly at Brad. So uh, Alex there mentioned the the lack of confidence when the car just goes and how that can affect you going forward. I wonder if that is overplayed. So completely hypothetically, Brad, if you're in a kart series and you end up completely upside down with fuel and grass staining your predominantly white kart suit, does that affect you the next time you get in the kart? That doesn't so much because there's a very obvious reason for that so so you're talking about the uh, car accident i had this year and so that doesn't affect your confidence because you know why it happened someone doesn't always stuff it down the inside and <laughs> okay. touch the tires and and roll you over fair enough it's very very different when you're driving a single seater and there's an just an inexplicable loss of grip that happens like that hasn't happened before and might not happen again because it's wind direction or it's just i don't know a tire temperature something which you didn't realize it caught you by surprise and suddenly you're in the barriers or, or backwards. That definitely affects your confidence because you can't really point to a reason that it happened and a way you can fix it. The way you can fix rolling in a cart is <laughs> not being dive bombed by someone into a hairpin. Um, iRacing reference alert. So for those who don't like us talking about iRacing zone out now, um, but I had this when I first started iRacing, we were doing the Formula Renault 2.0. That car, I couldn't push. Because every time I wanted to push it, it just snapped on me and threw me in the wall. So I never did that well in that car because I just never felt I could push it because of a lack of confidence. And that's how it affects you. It's a case of you have to overthink everything you do going into every single corner of if I go in a little bit faster here, Mm -hmm. am I just going to spin and crash? So I'll back off instead. Thank you. And anyway, sorry, sorry, Brad, about the personal reference. But at least as far as I know, you don't clap at the end of an F1 race. I definitely don't, especially not if um, if Verstappen wins. Although I was very happy that he won in front of his home yeah, fans. I I, I, I I'm really sorry that I give respect to the person that just won a Grand Prix. I'm I mean, sorry. For, I'm he, sorry that I'm respectful. Do you he can't do, hear you clapping though. Do you so. clap at the cinema as well? Oh, it was a good film. That well, well done. No, oh, I've been well four done. times since COVID dropped since since, since lockdown stopped, yeah. and I haven't clapped at the cinema. Oh, well done. You definitely shouldn't have shared your door. He deserved to to die and drown in the ocean. That's what Van Jean did at the end of Titanic. Hard not to talk about Bottas and uh ah this was painful guys this was this was painful the it's a humiliation isn't it Brad it's it was horrible the whole okay obviously he got told to stay out only to try and hold up Verstappen for a lap which he did but the the fastest lap stuff I'm still trying to get my head around it it's I I felt like they pitted him only so that Hamilton could also pit do the fastest lap and then he would be out of the way, and then he's in the perfect position to go for the fastest lap and gets told not to, and it's crushing. And he, he did yield to it, but my God, he did two amazing sectors. Yeah, so this is exactly how I understood it at first as well. I saw them pitting him and thought, okay, they're moving him out of Hamilton's way so Lewis can then go and get the fastest lap. He already had the fastest lap at this point, but they were preempting someone else, Perez, who Red Bull don't mind sacrificing at any point. Yeah. Someone else going and getting the fastest lap. So 
They moved Bottas out of the way. Bottas then obviously thought, as has happened previously, oh, maybe I'm now going to take away a fastest lap point from Verstappen. He was immediately told not to go for the fastest lap, which obviously annoyed him. He then set purple sectors anyway, and then ultimately, I'm told, backed off at the end of the lap, but still took fastest lap. Yeah. But I think the, the argument is that he did a lap which was slow enough that he knew Hamilton would still be able to beat that, but it was kind of just making a point. It seemed to me at the time that he just totally ignored the team order. I didn't see the final sector. I just saw that he got fastest lap. So I, I just assumed he has given um, basically the middle finger to the team and said, no, I, I'm now no longer listening to you. I, someone who is not a professional race car driver, am going to entirely disagree with that. Because if I was a professional race car driver and you put me on the best set of tires at the end of the race when the car has no fuel left in it, and sent me out and said, you may not drive fast for the whole lap, I'm pretty sure I know exactly what I would do. I would drive fast for as much of the lap as I thought I could get away with just because it's so much fun. (laughs) You know, I think he was just like, okay, all right, fine. I know I can't set the fast lap, but look, I have two whole sectors right here. And geez, these tires feel awful good. And yeah, okay, I'm looking at my dash and I better slow down now. So I'm going to slow down because I know I can't take that point away from Lewis, but at least I got to have a little fun. So I know whilst people are generally dissatisfied by Bottas's performance and they love George Russell, in 2022, I don't think Mercedes are going to be able to say that to George Russell, whatever position he's in. I don't, Brad, I don't see, I don't see George Russell playing ball. We are expecting an announcement early this week. And obviously last week I said my prediction was they would keep Bottas because that's what I would do. And I I still can't see the argument. George isn't going to play nice, Brad. He ain't. I disagree. I think that he has everything to lose by not playing nice. So I think in that position, he would do the opposite to Bottas. And he would, if he if he found himself in that exact position, which I don't think he's going to be that far off the pace, let's see next year. Mm-hmm. But I think he would do exactly what he was told, fall very, very much in line, especially to a direct order from James Vowles. And I don't think you'd have seen him setting those purple sectors either. I think he would have just... You know, if he's if he's out in front of Lewis winning a race, that's a different story. Yeah. But if he's in the number two role and the championship is looking like it can only go one driver's way, I think you'll see a very respectful and um, a, a driver who will listen to orders. A uh, quick comment there in the live chat from Jose who says, "Oh right, the micro vibrations message to Bottas was amazing. I'm I'm more than happy to go. I think that was a lie. Yeah, I I just wanted to add." that Hamilton fast lap was a second and a half faster than Botas for anyone who thought he might have been pushing boundaries. He wasn't really pushing boundaries. That wasn't even close. Okay. Well, I think um, we're getting towards the awards part of the show. Firstly, I just want to know what you guys think of the championship standings and where you think we are. Because obviously Red Bull, very dominant here. I think they did have the better car. They had the better package and they had a driver that was absolutely on fire and obviously there was a yeah i think lewis possibly did not do enough to make up the deficit that he lost on friday matt you know that put him at a disadvantage and he didn't catch it up so red bull here you can't argue looked like the better package where do you think that is going to to be going forward because max is leading the world driver championship again right yeah max is three points up uh red bull or what um oh i have the chart 
I have the chart. I can tell you they're about 10 points back in the constructors. Oh, okay. mm. Uh, yeah, in fact, they are 332 to 344, 12 points back in the constructors, but Max is leading by three points. Look, the advantage of the cars has been track specific all mm-hmm. season long. Mm-hmm. That is not going to change. It's going to come down to the drivers and it's going to be felt in the margins. It's going to be one in the margins who makes the fewest mistakes, who takes the best optimum advantage when they have it as to where this championship winds up. I'm thinking Mons is going to be kind of an interesting uh, counter to this. We also think it's pretty certain that Max is going to have to take some sort of engine penalty at some point. So that'll either be uh, if he has something go wrong during a practice session, he'll do a, a qualifying session. Sorry, he'll have a, um, he might start from the pit lane or just take that five, 10 place grid penalty, depending on what components need changing. Um, but it is literally, I, I can't call it. Because mm. there are so many tracks coming up towards the end of this season that could favor either <clears throat> could favor could favor either car or either driver, um, and I think this is going to go all the way up to the end. Okay. Oh, we've got a quick game to play. How could I have neglected this? Sorry, guys, it's going to be a long show. If you need to go to bed, if you need to go to work, don't stop in the car park uh, waiting for us to finish this show because I think it might look. We did a ninety-minute show for a two-minute race last week. So I think we can all agree that that is, what, 45 minutes per lap, Matt. So I think for this race, 75 laps, that's loads of minutes. So we can, loads. we've got time. Uh, if you're yeah. considering enjoying the whole of this show, why not also consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Apex. The link is in the show notes below. The, the more you support us, the more we can do. And we try to give you little incentives to do that so once you've already said yes i want to support an independent content creator then we try and make it worth your while the warm fuzzy feeling that you're keeping us on the air is the main reason to do that patreon.com forward slash missed apex we have a game whose fault is it it's called that it's called whose fault is it (laughs) a couple of incidents here that norris and perez again (laughs) let's go let's go let's go with brad to this one Norris and Perez again, actually not amazingly dissimilar to the Red Bull ring. Perez on the outside, uh, Norris closing down the gap on the outs- of, on the inside, moving to the outside line. Whose fault was it? I'd need to see very detailed, different camera angles. No, from guess. what I saw, from what I saw, uh, although the commentators seem to lay the blame with Norris, I uh, because what? and the re. The reason I disagree with them is oh. their reasoning was well, Perez was ahead at the corner entry, yeah, and. My position is well, he was nowhere near ahead at the point they made contact. He touched his rear wheel. So I think Norris had kind of won the corner by that point and Perez was just trying to chance it around the outside oh, and okay. stayed there. Uh, okay, so Perez was ahead at one point in the braking zone. Does that mean if you're in the inside car, you can just give up on the brakes, get your nose ahead, and then that means you're entitled to the corner then? Even even if it's compromising like your line into the corner, even if it means it's drifting you out into the outside car? You can do whatever you want, um, but I I don't think that's really what happened. I just think Perez tried to go around the outside, and just because you happen to be slightly ahead at some point, I mean Norris was ahead at the previous corner, so does that mean it, it just does, okay. that doesn't fly? Okay, what what but, matters is their relative positioning at the time they make contact. Okay. So at the time they made the contact, Perez was there, and Norris was moving towards the outside. So does the fact that a car is there in the space Norris is moving into does that not come into it? Yes, but I actually don't think that's what really happened. When I watched Perez on board, it looked to me like Perez was turning towards Norris. Perez could have been quite a lot wider at that point, but he chose to move 
towards the inside at the point where Norris still had left more than a car's width to the outside. And it's that initial contact that then seemed to force Norris on a trajectory wider. Um, the front right of Perez touching the left rear of Norris kind of pushed Norris to the left. It pivoted his car around. And that's why there was then a secondary contact. And from Norris's onboard, it, it looks to me like he will have been surprised about, by the contact. Like he will have thought Perez would have backed out by that point. This doesn't happen often, but I'm disagreeing with Brad when it comes to this one. Yay. And I'm not going and I'm going to lay the blame at Norris and I'm not <laughs> going to lay the blame at Perez, which again is completely against my MO. Um, but the way I saw that was two cars went through a car went through a corner side by side. Both cars need to give each other room on uh, in their respective parts of the circuit. And from my point of view, from the onboard from Norris that I saw, Norris kept coming across. Perez was on the red and white. He could not go any further across, otherwise he was on the grass, and Lando hit him. That's the way I saw it. I saw that, and I thought Lando was getting a penalty. Interesting, Brad. The two times that Perez and Norris have come together has been when there's been gravel on the outside, because so many times we've seen the Verstappen move, where you just shut the door on the outside, and the outside car goes, oh, fair enough, I'll jump into the the the, the runoff area, like, like Rosberg always did with Hamilton. But when there's gravel, you, you can't just run off. I think a car on the outside that is a car that's trying to go around the outside and overtake needs to think a little bit more about what's actually possible for the inside car to do. Because if you force someone to be on the defensive line, you know, they're on a less than ideal trajectory and they're going to run wider than they would have done if they'd been on the ideal racing line. And I think quite often people try and go around the outside and they just assume that the car on the inside is capable of leaving them room when perhaps they're, they're not. I, You've been very consistent on that. That's exactly what you said for cops with Lewis on the inside. You said Verstappen moved him to a place where he could never take the ideal line. Therefore, you have to compensate for that. Alex made that same point. Alex, you're, you look to be raging against our chat room. Oh, somebody in the chat room, I'm not going to name names, has said Norris was on the racing line. I don't know how many times we have to reiterate this. When two cars are side by side through a corner, the racing line does not matter. It doesn't matter if you're on the racing line. If there is another car there, you can't take that line because there's a car there. I mean, regardless, Norris, of, regardless of the fault of this incident. Norris wasn't on the racing line because you don't enter that corner from a defensive position. That isn't yeah. a racing line anyway. But um, he, he definitely was on the high ground, which the inside... Of, of a two car battle tends to be. And I just think Perez wasn't far enough alongside at the point they made contact to demand full room. Uh, that, that's just my point of view, but I don't think anyone should get a penalty. And I think you can argue it. Both oh ways. no, absolutely. We're just doing it for the sake of the fact that there was very little contact to argue about. So why not have a, a row about this? Well, because what could be more fun than me agreeing with Brad and saying that Norris was ahead. Norris was clearly ahead on the exit of the turn. And that's where, if you're going to say driver A should start to yield to driver B in that position, I think Norris had the better of it for that reason. His front wheels were ahead and he had claimed the advantage on the exit of the turn. And even having that advantage, he'd left Perez a full car's width on the pavement. I agree with Alex because it fits with my preloaded bias in that situation what happened with the houses matt what 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 i i saw mazepin out 
And then that's, I never saw any replay. I never saw what happened. And what happened? Are we talking about the race? Or are we talking about qualifying? Oh, no, no, about no, Social no. media? Are we oh talking about God. the fact they won't stand next to each other in photos anymore? I mean, what are we talking about here? It's so amazing. Like, they hate each other, which is kind of oh. brilliant. Um, no, I was going to skip past qualifying. I didn't care oh, about that. Enough. But what, yeah. So, so like, in, in qualifying, Mazepin's like, he broke the rules. And, like, Schumacher's is like, well, he's slow. So, whatever. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So, what happens is we're into lap one of the race. Um, and uh, Schumacher's behind Mazepin and for whatever reason, completely catches him up into lap, into lap two is running him down on the straight or maybe into lap three. I forget. And Mazepin just moves over and absolutely smashes into Schumacher's front wing. Like there's, there's nothing to be done about it. He moves completely over on him and hits him. And then Schumacher backs off and uh, is on the radio. Is there damage? Blah, blah, blah. And then they bring Schumacher in a couple of laps later. Mazepin's later retirement was for a hydraulics issue, like about a little more than two thirds through, through the race. And I don't think it was related to the incident at all. Can I make a, a potential slight clarification there? I've just read an article about this and they mentioned that the front wing damage from Schumacher was actually because Mazepin forced him into the pit lane bollard. Um, and it was the Blimey. bollard that, that smashed Schumacher's front wing. That so they may well have also touched, but Schumacher was incensed and says he yeah. thinks their relationship is irreparable. So yeah. um, that will be spicy for the last place fight for the rest of the season. Ah, oh, Mazepin normally gets on with everyone. That is an absolute shocker. Let's move on to the podium. Wow. That was not a fantastic race to be Hamfosi. Although we did get to see Mercedes being put out of their comfort zone. They had a two to one advantage, which Bottas seemed to yield. And then when he came back into the fold, he was unable to take full advantage. We saw perhaps a rope dope from Max Verstappen and Red Bull. They just danced and moved and pivoted and pirouetted off into the distance whilst Mercedes was swinging punches, left hooks, uppercuts. I don't know many boxing terms or moves, but Red Bull just moved aside, danced around, waited they, till they were tired and then pushed them down to the floor. I think we were treated to a good event. I keep my scepticism of the track and whether I would want to go back there again. However, there's no denying that for the massive Orange Army and the flood of Max Verstappen fans in Formula One, this was an absolutely epic and momentous day. And, and it will be one that I think will go down in history and be remembered in history as well. It is, however, just one battle in what I am starting to sense will be one of the best seasons of Formula One I've ever watched. So I am looking forward most definitely to Monza. And let's see if we can get another home victory. <laughs> I'm only kidding. It will be Verstappen or Hamilton. Let's give out our awards. The first thing we do is stay super positive. The Thing of the Weekend Award. This is where we get all kind of, we come in for a big group hug and we just appreciate how great everyone is. I mean, I could, I could talk about how great my panel are because Matt isn't just great in his own right. You can follow him at MattPT55, but you can look in our show notes and you can buy books that his wife writes. That's right. He had the good sense to marry an author and you can go and buy her books. I assume she hasn't given up on writing, Matt. No, she has not given up on writing, um, but she is 
currently engaged with her entirely other career, which has just started back up after, you know, costume design on Broadway, yes. which is also Indeed. very interesting and exciting. I messed up. I, I married a singer who doesn't get royalties for most of her albums because she took a fee. So, yeah, well, I could tell you all my singer jokes later on if you need them. Yeah. So don't don't bother buying my wife's albums. We don't get any money. You can follow Alex as well. At Alex Van Jean, V-A-N-G-E-E-N. And he's like, oh, I'm totally into racing, but also here's a stream of me flying a virtual helicopter. Well, the last one was actually me playing Alien Isolation, just getting scared in the dark playing video games. That was fun. Um, but I did just put a video up, which was about this particular circuit, me driving this car, the, sorry, the F1 car around this circuit, or the old version of the circuit, to show how difficult it is. Short eight-minute video. Go and watch it. You get to see me crash and tell you why I think it's really, really hard. Okay. We'll link to that below, probably, if Matt remembers. And also go and follow Brad at Brad Philpot who is going to be streaming more iRacing stuff soon. Yes, I am. Um, I'm downgrading back to triple screens for my sim setup. You've gone from VR to screens, you flathead loser. I love VR, but it's just too much hassle. So yeah, I'm going to be picking up the streams and doing a lot more sim racing soon. Brad, who wasn't too much hassle today? Who's your thing of the weekend? Okay, so my thing of the weekend is actually a very personal one. I, I actually went and watched the race today at my sponsor's house. So M4M Timber Products that you can uh, see on my hat nice. if you're watching the stream. If you need an alpaca, goat, or a horse house. And they, they pay up. us as well. Do they? No? Oh, okay, never mind. Not sure. Um, they, they, uh, well, they had me round. We had a nice uh. lunch and we watched the race together. And we're all pretty much more behind Hamilton than we are behind Verstappen Fair as a enough. fan group. Sure. Um, my sponsors particularly so, very, very much Lewis Hamilton fans. Um, and Martin and Emma, I think, actually still pretty much enjoyed the race, even though not that much yeah. overtaking happened and Lewis didn't win because it was still pretty intriguing and it was kind of nice to see Verstappen win in front of his home was. fans. So, so my thing of the weekend is that I, I still really enjoyed the race, despite it not being the result that I might have wanted. Yeah, you're a bigger man than me. Uh, Vanjie, what's your thing of the weekend? Max Verstappen. I, I cannot put a single bit of fault towards the performance that that guy put in mm. this weekend. I've already said it earlier in the show. Through practice, he hit the track. He hit the track running. He was fast straight out the box. He didn't make any mistakes. He didn't go off in qualifying. He nailed it. He still got pole despite not having his DRS open when Lewis put out a really good lap <laughs> yeah. and actually could have stolen it from him. Still without DRS, lost about a tenth and a half um, without that DRS, and then nailed every single lap of the race. Not a run wide, not a lock up, nothing. That's, and uh, yeah. if he wins the championship this year. This is where it started. That was a champion's drive for me. It was a champion's drive. I don't think he's going to win there. I wouldn't bet on him winning the championship. Only, only because I think Mercedes will have the overall car advantage over the season. But do you know what impressed me most about Verstappen today, Alex, was the lack of celebration. That, you know, like when you've got, like Ricardo, he won, I can't remember, he won a race, was it Monaco? And he was like, this is my time. This is my time. This is me. This is about Ricardo. Oh, yeah. Whereas with Verstappen, he won the race today, but I think he understood this is one race in a very difficult season. Nothing's won yet. That's what impressed me the most. It was a big, important race, big, important time for him to stamp. And he stamped authority this weekend. That was the thing for it. And it's a case of, yep, I've won. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Really, really enjoyed myself. 
on to the next one yep. because the next race is coming up could be more difficult. Let's just put this one in the bag, yep. bag the 25 points, six, takes back my championship yeah, lead. Points, Thank you yeah. very much. Off the next one. Do rumpets. Oh, I managed the second one this week. That's me exhausted. Very impressive. Yeah. yeah. Thing of the weekend. Yeah. All right. Um, I would be tempted to shout out to the crowd, which was amazing. But I, I, I saw this and I'm just going to say, the fact that public transit was so good no. that only 2% of the entire crowd drove to the race. Oh my and gosh. I'm just going to say, F1 trying to make a name for itself as a sustainable sport, that's where they're going to need to be. And kudos to the circuit for absolutely getting that right. That is the worst thing of the weekend we've ever had. You're welcome. Everyone is now worse off for what you just said. And I stand by every word of it. Ferrari! Get my thing of the weekend. Two cars consistently up, maximising what they could have done. Am I wrong, Matt? They, they maximised their performance this weekend. I wish people would stop getting excited every time they went on a low fuel run on a Friday. However, as a best of the rest team, they maximised this weekend. Well done, Ferrari. Yeah, you, you could have said Norris, who made amazing progress in a no, 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 hang car. on, no, 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 no. To me, that falls into the the Perez driver of the day stuff. Stop giving. <laughs> do I have to yell this? Stop giving driver of the day to people who qualify poorly. Stop it, because it's like when people kept saying, "Oh, Lance Stroll, he's so good at lap one overtakes." Yeah, because he qualifies twentieth. I've got an idea. Let's give him an award instead, and we'll call it the Crypto Award. They're doing it, aren't they? Uh, the most overtakes, is it? Are yes, they doing the most? Yes. That's the worst. That is the worst. We're literally... Right, do you know what? When that happens, I'll complain about it incessantly. I'm not going to complain about it before it happens, because I'm hoping that someone will see sense, unless it's already started. It hasn't, has it? No, it hasn't started. Uh, I don't know. Brad? Do I care? I just wanted to add to the moaning about that, that yeah. driver of the day for Perez because oh. I know everyone says he did really well, but despite the fact that obviously his overtakes were all because he was in, a, in the best car on the grid coming yeah. from the back, he also didn't even do that well. He, he forced them to have an early pit stop because he <laughs> yes. had a massive lockup and yeah. ruined his right front tyre. He, yeah. he actually didn't do that well. And, and that was passing a back marker as well, who was already a lap down. So yeah, yeah actually Perez just had a shocking weekend and ended up as driver of the day let's stop doing that please okay good well that was all the positive things and uh, now we get to be negative just as soon as i can find the button i can't actually find the button. oh here it is oh no you missed the apex i thought i was gonna have to do it myself there oh no who missed the apex for you alex mclaren They've gone from one of the quickest teams to kind of just being there today, this weekend. Don't know what they did this weekend. Don't know what was wrong. Don't know what didn't suit their car. But McLaren, am I, you know, I've been a McLaren fan for, for, for decades. And today was just really, really lackluster. I didn't really pay much attention to them apart from when Perez and Norris were smacking into each other. Um, so, yeah, my my missed Apex Award just has to go to McLaren for just an, a subpar weekend compared to what they have been producing so far this year. Fair enough. A Brad Philpott. Who was your missed Apex? I don't have any particularly bad ones. Let's just nab Perez because he was <laughs> okay. just a bit disappointing. So, yeah, Perez missed the Apex for me. Trumpets. Well, you've made it hard for me by choosing Perez. 
because you didn't choose Aston, which would have been a kind of obvious choice given Vettel's day, but I'm not going to choose Aston. I'm going to say Williams, and I'm going to base it entirely on their qualifying performance because they had two red flags in a single session, and I think absolutely robbed themselves of any chance uh, points today as a result. Fair enough. And my Mistapex award goes to anyone with flares. Stop it. It's not big or clever. Big Dirty News. Okay, so that was supposed to be the Pony Awards. Clearly my buttons are mapped wrong. I'm going to have to do it. Daddy, I want a pony and I want one now. Who, Who made the news by deserving the Pony Award? Did I rescue that? Do we have any ponies? Brad. Uh, Christian Horner for <laughs> for moaning that Mercedes might be, and it turns out kind of are, blocking Albon from driving for Williams um, when they already have four seats. Like if you if you want this guy to be in a Formula One car that much, <laughs> that badly, enough to complain about another team not letting him into a third team, then just don't employ people who aren't Red Bull drivers. So. Um, for example, maybe put Gasly in the Red Bull and allow Albon back into AlphaTauri. And if you don't think he's good enough to be there, then maybe keep quiet. Uh, but it looks like Mercedes are asking for him to be released from his contract with Red Bull before that's allowed. So a reliable whisper in my ear. I've said two days ago that Albon to to Williams is done. It is done, done. And uh, this, this source doesn't let me down very often. Further so to that, go on, go on. Do, there, yeah, go does on. that mean he has been released from his Red Bull contract or does that no. mean a different arrangement? A different happens? arrangement. So this is what I'm getting and I'm not going to stake my professional career on this or anything because I don't really have much of a career. You're understanding. No, I'm not even understanding. But the, the thing I have in my ear is basically that it could be Williams moving away from Mercedes and getting in bed with the new Red Bull power unit. Jos Capito is very good friends with Dieter Masterschitz. Yes. I'm hoping I've pronounced that right because it's got a rude word. Close at the end. enough. And uh, and that when the new engine regs come in, 24, but now 25, 25, that it is going to basically be like a Williams VW Red Bull power unit type thing, and that's why it's less of an issue to annoy Mercedes here. But that's don't quote me on that. Well, let's consider that VW Group owns Porsche and Audi. And both have been sniffing around the 25 regulations, which haven't been decided on yet. And right, okay. Red Bull will probably want a partner to develop a new power unit with, even though they seem capable of maintaining the Honda power unit. Okay. They're going to be gifted. So I might not be being too crazy there. So who's the map? Who missed the apex for you? Oh, no, you've done, you did one? No, you didn't. Uh, this is the pony. Oh, we're doing pony. My goodness. Right. I, I did. I'm, I'm not feeling very well. <laughs> okay, Pony Matt. I you think you're doing a spectacular <laughs> job under the circumstances. Thank you. And I would put you up for thing of the week just for showing up for the show. But it's already. But it's but it's gone because we're doing we're doing Pony now. Uh, Alex Pony. Because I'm bucking my normal trend of like giving Max the best thing, I'm going to put the pony on Lewis because he, again, just complained about tires, complained about not being fast enough, and. There is a part of me that thinks so much of it is code. Yeah. I really, really do believe that a lot of the tyre talk, because it's so consistent, and the things that he say are the same every single time, part of me thinks it's code. But I'm just getting bored of hearing it, and it's driving me a bit nuts. So I'm so going to give it to part, part of the, the blame for that, I mean, the FIA or FOM, whoever 
choose or liberty choose to broadcast so many of his messages because it's interesting I, I don't really i just don't think it's that bad i know he gets slated for it but he's not like kicking off he's pretty calm and then when you do the interviews that podium interview was you could not ask for a more gracious second place could you and he was very gracious and he didn't get booed by the dutch fans I think, first of all, Max won, so they were obviously happy. But I think they saw how hard Lewis fought today, and I think they gave him a little bit of respect for that and then didn't boo him, which was really great to see. Thank you very much to our live chat room for joining us this week. Uh, If you want to do the live chat with us at the moment, it is in our Patreon Slack group, patreon.com forward slash Apex. Our $5 patrons can join us in a Slack group where we monitor your chat room comments at the moment. And Matt, I believe one of them is due an award. Comment of the week. Matt, give us your three candidates and a winner for comment of the week. Oh, Alex has got one as well. Go on then, Alex, you first. I've got a few. Um, EJ, when talking about uh, the flares, look at me, I'm Sandy V, smoking <laughs> flares incredibly which I really liked. Um, and there was a couple with regarding to the going really well until it wasn't with regards to Russell, um, <laughs> which was uh, Padunk until it was, a, until it was a disaster. It was going really well. And in the same vein was Vitz Vandenberg. And I'm really sorry. I've messed your name up was the Hindenburg was going great idea before it. Uh... Very quickly. You've got to catch an episode of Futurama where uh, he's floating through space bender the robot and a civilization of people land on him and they all die in the end but then he later finds what he thinks might be god who crashed with a supercomputer and the god supercomputer says to him you were doing quite well until they all died trumpets uh who were your candidates for comment of the week all right so we will start with and this will be the only exception i ever make to this rule someone whose comment came from the race regarding Kubica talking about this being the first race since his Williams in 2019, where he felt like he could properly fight and enjoying it. And someone saying that was wrong. And Jaco Ligthelm replied, of course, the hurt from Williams is still so fresh. He only finished the last 2019 lap in that Williams this morning. That's harsh. Come on. Who's our next candidate? I had to, you understand why I had to include it because I just like, all right, Nick the F1 Greek passed the duchy on the left-hand side, which, if you were going into turn one, would have been the only place to do it, but sadly, Lewis could not pull it off today. Um, Patty, Gasly to Alpine as soon as Alonso hits retirement age or sells enough hats. And finally, we're going to go with um, Chris Fonseca. Just think of Missed Apex as a 60-minute show with a guaranteed red flag delay. There we go. Alex, I'm going to let you decide between one of your two... Which one do you want? Uh, until it was a disaster, it was going really well by Padunk. Padunk, you are winner of... Comment of the Week. Please do go and follow my panel, Bradley Philpot at Bradley Philpot. Search for him on YouTube. Same for Alex, at Alex Van Gene, V-A-N-G-E-E-N. Also search for that on YouTube, Matt at MattPT55 and his wife at A Weaver Writes. All those links will be in our show notes below. You can follow me as well. I'm the best one at Spanners Ready or Richard Ready on Facebook. We will be back next Sunday for the Italian Grand Prix Race Review. And midweek, we've got a nice bits and pieces show that we're going to put together for you. We're going to talk about contract law. 
with Peter Wright, and we're also going to explore the murky world of Multi 21. Good. Well, I hope you follow the show as well at Missed Apex F1, and I hope you'll join us for both those shows. Until next week, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Matt, be honest with me, I passed out for a lot of that. Did I say some words in the right order? It was the best show ever because Brad and I did nothing but talk about tires the entire time. No, it's finally happened. I passed out and you talked about tires forever.